Hello, boys and ghouls. Cat here. Welcome to Episode 7 of our Behind the Scream series, where we're exploring the world of fear, shock, and horror by talking to tastemakers in the genre. Today on the show, Rob Galuzzo, senior editor of Blumhouse.com and co-host of Blumhouse's Shockwaves podcast. Rob also directed and produced the documentary The Psycho Legacy, the definitive retrospective documentary on the Psycho franchise. Rob and I had a great time talking about that and all sorts of other spooky things. Enjoy. things we can do. I love your audio nerddom. Mo- modern technology. It's incredible. It's all trial and error. Um, Rob. Yes. Hi. Hi. Hello. Hello. Welcome to your apartment. Oh, thanks. I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> I'm so glad that I invited you over. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. Do you like your lovely record and Blu-ray and DVD collection? I like that I didn't have to move off the couch to do this with you. I'm Big thankful you let me come to do that. <laughs> so I am here with Rob Galuzzo. Um, I, by the way, do you know that there's like an Australian Rob Galuzzo? I do very much. Yes, I do. Because I went to I went to Google you today because I like to um, I don't know, give a little uh, blurb about the person that I'm sitting down with, and uh, and I was like, maybe there's like a a little bio, which there is on the Blumhouse site. Um, but I was like, I kept coming up with all this stuff, and I was like, wow, there's some Aussie. He's like a TV producer or something. I He's think important. So. I, well, I very think important. You would find me more if you. I mean, Rob G is kind of pretty broad, but if you Google Rob G horror or icons, uh, I'll come up a lot. He is an Australian filmmaker, I thought, and there was it was hilarious because somebody. I wish I could remember the project. It was it was probably a psycho related project or some panel that I got asked to do. But I noticed on the email that it was my email and another Rob G. So. I guess nobody knew which one of us oh, it was. Oh, did they copy him on it? They, they emailed us both simultaneously on the same <laughs> thing. And he replied being like, sounds great, but I'm in Australia. can't do it. And uh, that's why I was like, I think they meant me. Oh, it's, wow. it's psycho-related. Isn't so it it's weird? probably he, me. It's interesting asking. that he's a film guy, though. That he's like also in the entertainment industry. And it's like a rare, yeah, it's, it's not a common name. So I thought that was kind of fascinating that there's another one out there. That's why I go by Rob G's, because in high school, nobody could say it correctly. Right. You said it perfectly. Why is it so hard? I don't know. I think it's just, spelled just the way that it sounds. Yeah, but kids are mean too, and I think they just like to make fun of you. Kids and are say dicks. it all, all weird ways. I so. was doing um, some traveling sidebar uh, <laughs> um, children's theater a couple of years ago. I was like traveling around the greater LA area. Um, doing a play for kids about water conservation. Mm-hmm. Um, and nice. so it was a two-person play. We set everything up and we tore it down and we'd go do two or three schools a day. And man, when I told kids my name was Cat, I got meowed at and barked <laughs> at more than like, and, and it hurt more than I thought it would. I was like, you guys aren't funny, but I can't, I can't, I can't like, curse at them kids are terrible kids are the worst um anyway <laughs> i am here with rob g rob galuzzo um yes. who is a senior editor at blumhouse.com but you have a long and storied history in the entertainment industry which i will have introed before okay. our little conversation so people and most most people let's face it if they're listening to boys and ghouls podcast 
they probably are listening to Shockwaves. They probably listen to Killer POV. Well, that's nice. Uh, I, I'm well. <laughs> I'm just what I'm trying to say is you're far more important than I am. Oh hush. So, uh, but thank you for sitting down with me. What we're gonna do? Yes. Uh, because what I the purpose of this is uh, I I I think I spent more time preparing for this interview. Uh, than I have for any other interview or any other episode of any other podcast because there's so much to it, which is to talk about the Psycho uh, franchise. Sure. Um, so that's why, like, I approached you months ago. I was like, oh, an interview in, like, a week. And then three months later. Right. Because it turned out, I was like, well, I have a book to read. I have a bunch of movies to watch. I have to finish the... Bates Motel TV series. Which you um, didn't know about until I gave it to you. I was like, have you seen this? I did not have And you're like, clue. whoa, okay. Yeah. So, so I gave you more work. You did. <laughs> but I'm thankful because now I feel very like complete in that. But before we get to that, I want, um, for people who don't know you, this is a good way for them to get to know you. For people who do know you, maybe some fun new stuff will come out. Okay. Which is, I'm going to ask you some questions. Uh, it's just kind of a getting to know you horror Um it, it probably won't be rapid fire. I always say that. I'm like, we're just going to rapid fire. And I know. Then it, I was ready. I was like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for the pressure <laughs> no, of rapid fire. It's not, it's not going to go that way. It never does. Okay. Um, I want to know what scared you as a child and what was your first introduction to horror? Um, first introduction was, I'm sure it was the Universal Monster movies. I know that that's probably what I gravitated towards as a little, little kid. That's like my earliest memories. And I always loved the Wolfman, the Creature from the Black Lagoon, and but they never scared me they were just you know they just looked cool and i wanted to try to draw them because i i was you know i was always kind of drawing comic book characters and monsters as a kid um but nightmare on elm street was by far the thing that uh opened this world to me did uh, freddy scare you oh no yeah i mean i used to i i um i have two much much older brothers that i i practically i mean i grew up with them but i didn't really because there was such an age gap so the only I had two cousins in my family that were close to my age, a few years older than me, and our, my parents would leave them at their place while our parents went out together. And they, you know, I was like nine or so, and they would torture me by telling me about Freddy Krueger and Nightmare on Elm Street, how he's going to get me, and all this stuff. And I was like, Oh my God, who's Freddy? I don't, I don't understand. So then finally, they like it was one sleepover. They sat me down and they forced me to watch the first movie. And it scarred me for life. I was so horrified by it. And in fact, I was so upset that they immediately had to show me um, Better Off Dead right after <laughs> to prove to me that Tina was still alive. They're like, she's still alive and she's breaking John Cusack's heart right here. It's okay. Oh my God. So inadvertently, they, they, I know it's funny and they, they, they don't realize this. I mean, I've told them, but, but I don't think they understand the severity of, of what they did to me. But they literally created the monster I am today because the two things I... I um, that make me up are kind of horror and 80s movies. Sure. Like th- these are the two I things. I would imagine at this point in your in your career, you've probably met Amanda Weiss. You know what's funny? I, I, would t- I actually told her that story and she said that's her favorite story that a fan has ever told oh, her. Oh, that is precious. Yeah, and, She's I, and so I thought that was cool. Sweet. Uh, she was on the cover of the magazine Belladonna that I that I write for and she she was so supportive, like retweeting things and so like I'm so proud to like she just seems like the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she's cool. Uh, okay. What scares you now? Oh God, uh, people. <laughs> the uh, and not not just any people. People are just terrible to each other. Uh, uh, politics scares me now. Um, <laughs> honestly, like the the biggest fears I have, at least as it relates to horror movies, because there's certain ones that I have trouble watching, <clears throat> is uh, home invasion really freaks me out. I'm not a big fan of that subgenre just because 
I have weird recurring nightmares about it. But it's weird because it's always my house in New York, which no longer exists. But um, I always have memories and dreams of what it was like when I was a kid growing up there because, um, you know, we were we were one town shy from a, a fairly rough neighborhood. We weren't in that rough neighborhood, but it could easily spill over. And I just remember my mom would do stupid things like leave the front door open, oh, like unlocked. And it, I would always like freak out about it and then have nightmares about, you know, somebody breaking into our house and doing terrible things to us. Uh, so that, that kind of bumps me out. And I, I occasionally suffer from sleep paralysis. So that kind of oh, God. spooks me out. I'm scared. Like you've mentioned that to me before and I hate it because I, I, I'm 100% scared of the idea of the, 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 I will not watch The Nightmare, whatever that movie is. Yeah. Because it taught, you know, the, from what I understand, it's the idea that, like, it's kind of contagious mentally. Like, if you talk about it too much. Um, no, I haven't talked to you about this before. I was talking to Clark Wolf about this on this oh. very podcast. And that's why I was like, I was like, why have I talked about this? She, she apparently it happens it to her, too. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's weird. You know, like, I like The Nightmare. I thought that was a really good documentary. But, I, I mean, those people have it on, on such a severe level that I couldn't even imagine. Uh, my version of it is very mild and the older you get and I guess I also learned this from uh, Nightmare on Elm Street sequels uh, <laughs> I'm pretty good at not snapping out of it but telling myself that this is not real this is just a dream or whatever or usually I just curse out if I think I see something in the room yeah that's that's so <laughs> it's so funny you say that because I Nightmare on Elm Street scared me a lot as a kid but yeah. even though there's like of course Freddy comes back and there's all these sequels uh, that that moment with Nancy saying like I take away the, your oh, power yeah, and everything yeah. was such a big moment as a kid for you to see that and uh, for me anyway like I use you that take I that use in. that I use that lesson in life now which is uh, it, I say it all the time and and I it's funny when you relate things to horror people get it all of a sudden uh, but you know the older you get like the less you care about what people say and think about you. And I know a lot of people that grapple with that. And I'm just like, if somebody's got a problem and they want to talk shit about you or whatever the case is, just ignore it. You know, it's like Freddy Krueger syndrome. If you ignore it, you take its power away. Yeah, that's, and like, it's it clearly it's a them problem, not a you problem. Exactly. So that's why I'm like, you know, I, I learned a lot about how to deal with life through Freddy Krueger. Oh, my God. I love that. So, <laughs> uh, I wonder if I know this because I've listened to you for hours on podcasts. Um, maybe I don't. What, mm-hmm. What's your favorite horror movie of all time? You know, it's funny, my, my go-to answer that I've said literally without hesitation for several years has always been Evil Dead 2 because it it um, it kind of encapsulates what I love about horror all in one movie, and it, but it's also my sense of humor. So, like, like, you could tell a lot about a person from what they find funny, and I find Evil Dead 2 hilarious, <laughs> and it's one of my favorites. However, um, the more and more I, I think about it now... As I get older, um, I kind of think Psycho is just the perfect movie. Like I, I've been, I revisited it a few times recently, only because um, I did a commentary track on the remake uh, with the editor for the Scream Factory uh, Blu-ray. And I was like, oh, I, you know, I want to compare. Um, and obviously, the final season of Bates Motel was a loose remake of Psycho, so. I find myself coming back to Psycho a lot more lately. And, you know, for the last seven years, I've kind of avoided it because I was kind of sick of it after the whole documentary thing, which we'll get into later. Uh, But now that I've revisited it with a little bit of uh, hindsight and time away from it, I'm like, this movie's just freaking perfect. Yeah. 
from start to finish. So I think that might be my favorite movie of all time. Oh, it's so good. I, Next I, to Teen Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> I've probably said this before on this podcast, but um, uh, the scene that's always freaked me out the most for some reason in Psycho is when she's like trading in her car mm. and there's uh, and the cop across the street and she like locks eyes with him and she, like my heart just pounds and like my ass sweats. I think that is so it's so suspenseful. Like it's 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 just every moment of that movie is perfect. Yeah. yeah. Um, what do you think is the scariest movie of all time? Uh, I'm going to give that up to The Exorcist. It, it's it's held such a power over people for the last 40 years. Um, and I still find it kind of terrifying. There's, it was the only horror movie that I think I've only visited maybe three, four times in my life. Although now, the last time I've, I revisited it was, they showed it at the New Beverly um, as like a whole month of midnight screenings of it. And that was the first time I got to appreciate it, um, you know, because I grew up Catholic in catechism, but I, I don't believe in anything anymore. Yeah. Uh, so it was the first time I got to appreciate it as a non-Catholic, so to speak. Sure. And, uh, and I just, I mean, it's just a great movie. Um, yeah. I have such a newfound respect for William Friedkin as a filmmaker. I've been watching a lot of his stuff. But The Exorcist is just scary. It's mm. just a really good, uh, beautifully executed scary horror movie it's weird because i i too don't really subscribe to i was raised in in religion but i i don't i don't do any of that um and so i'm not particularly i'm not afraid of like i don't believe in the devil i'm not afraid of that stuff but but i don't even think i've ever put the exorcist on by myself Mm. in a room i've watched it lots of times with other people um, I, fi- I find it really jarring, like yeah. so scary. And I'm not afraid of like a demon possessing me. I was as a child, yeah. but like I'm not afraid of that. Uh, There's something very unsettling just, about oof. it, yeah. And, and I prefer the theatrical cut. But you know what? It's like it, its power got taken away from me a few years ago because uh, back when I was living in New York, my you know we had a pretty good um, home uh, set up upstairs in my house. And my dad liked to watch movies and he'd usually crank them really loud. And he doesn't like horror movies. He doesn't care. He likes the classic stuff. But literally, there was one day uh, where I came home. My dad's, like, super old-school Italian. But I remember I came home, and, like, the windows were open. So I'm, like, walking up the driveway, and all I hear cranked is, The power of Christ compels you! No. The power of Christ is like, oh, he barred my exorcist, and he's watching it. So, like, I kind of, like, poke my head in. And I, they're still screaming at this point, because it goes on for, like, five minutes. The power of Christ compels you! And I just poke my head in, and he's like, This isn't so scary. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, it's like hearing my, like, grumpy dad be like, Yeah, whatever. That's amazing. It's kind of funny. Uh, what's your favorite sub-genre? Ooh. That's a good question. I mean, if you could consider it a sub-genre, I have a soft spot for horror comedy. Like, I'll allow it. Yeah, That's any, definitely anything, a sub-genre. Yeah, anything that falls in that realm. I mean, obviously all the classics, American World in London, Shaun of the Dead, the ones that, that marry it perfectly, um, the Peter Jackson movies, the early ones, Dead Alive, Bad Taste. Um, I don't know. It's you know, like I love straight horror, but I also, I think you know what? It's funny now that I'm actually thinking about it. I think it's because, you know, when I was growing up, you know, I was friends with the other weirdos uh, and musicians and dirtbags and metalheads and all that stuff. But I was the movie guy, so these friends wouldn't seek these things out. I was the one that would find it at the video store, watch it by myself, and then force them all to see it. Uh, and this includes cult movies too. So. I was the guy that would show them Army of Darkness and Dead Alive and, you know, An American Werewolf in London. And I think there's something about 
getting a bunch of people together and having them jump and laugh and just have it's it creates a party vibe and uh i think that's why i always loved it is because it's the most satisfying to share with people is a horror comedy. Sure. Because you also have to have somewhat of a sixth sense of humor to appreciate and laugh at all Absolutely. that stuff. Uh, I mean, a lot. I, I don't know what I was thinking, but it was like before the Lord of the Rings movies came out, I took a course in college where we had to do some sort of visual presentation on someone we admired. And I did Peter Jackson, and I brought a video, and I showed a clip from Bad Taste and a clip from Dead Alive. Oh, Jesus. And I shared, like, the clip where um, where he's fighting the dead baby in the park. <laughs> and no wonder nobody wanted to be my friend. <laughs> I was like... Oh, my God. And, I, you know, I was like, this guy's going to make Lord of the Rings, though, so... I remember one time in high school, I brought a guy... Uh, a, a, it was a friend who we were kind of, like, trying out the dating thing for a second. Uh-huh. And I brought over <laughs> my VHS copy of Rocky Horror Picture Show, which, you know, is... Uh, many different things but um but there's like you either you're either on board with it or you're not sure and um I remember feel it was like one of those moments one of those kind of like really scarring moments in high school where like I was like this is great it's like it's so crazy and weird and we were watching it and he's just looking at me like what the hell did you bring (laughs) over here like what are we watching he's like this is stupid it's the test movie wouldn't stop bitching about it to all of our friends he was like Oof. she tried to show me this weird ass movie yeah it, but yeah it, litmus test I mean good riddance yeah. yeah yeah the guy's like a highway patrolman now which I find so strange yeah um, Evil Dead 2 is that movie unrelated. for me yeah that, I've shown sure. that on first dates pretty regularly yeah and I, the judging from your reaction some of the time uh, no not yet not, not that no I would imagine you, you know wouldn't I mean? get to the point where you're first dating a girl without kind of having an idea that maybe she's into that you know, I don't know. you'd have to expect that from me yeah <laughs> well because yeah because you're you're like it's like the american thing is always like when you meet new people it's like what do you do so i would imagine that a girl who's gotten to know you at all right they know is, who yeah. you are and what you do they're, so like they're i don't know i just feel like there 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 are certain types of women who would be like Oh, you work in horror. Yeah. Well, this is before I did all the horror stuff. I'm, oh, like, I'm going back okay. like 15, 20 years. Oh, wow. So you're going in It's working at like record stores and stuff like that. Interesting. So, yeah. Well, yeah, not, not, glad, not, not that interesting. I'm glad that went well for you. <laughs> is there, is, I mean, is there a good moment in Evil Dead 2 to like slip the arm around the shoulder? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'm usually just laughing too hard and yeah. having a good time that I'm... It's, I actually lose sight of what the whole point of the date was. It's really the best. <laughs> she's like, she's like trying to snuggle, and you're like, no, and I'm like, no, 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 no watch this eyeball. It's about to pop into her mouth. It's gonna be hilarious. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite <laughs> sequel? Oh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street three. Dream Warriors is I think the best. I think one and three are like, you know what it is? It's um, and I, I think uh, I can't remember if I set this as an assignment on Shockwaves. Um, and if not, we should do it for a future episode. But. I always like to say what of what what entry in a franchise do you think is the quintessential version of that franchise? Meaning, mm-hmm. like, if someone's never seen a Nightmare on Elm Street movie, which one do you show them? Because your default answer won't always be number one. Sure. I mean, it could be, but like for Friday Thirteenth, for example, I don't know anyone that says Friday Thirteenth is their favorite Friday Thirteenth movie. No, part it's six usually for me. four <laughs> or six. You know, another one. So people love four. I just don't. Yeah. I don't. I think four is the epitome of what the franchise as a whole is. Six is the most fun. I should rewatch four with that in mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Six is so, like Frankenstein. 
Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's just it's fun. It's yeah. fun, and it makes fun of the previous sentence. It's so meta. Yeah. So that's what Nightmare Three is to me. Is Nightmare Three is the epitome of what the Nightmare franchise is. Sure. It's scary. It's yeah. funny. Yeah. Yeah. You're fighting back. Um, <laughs> all right. Favorite franchise is that going to be Psycho? I think so, uh, because those are consistently. I think. I think all of them, not including the remake, um, but of the original franchise with Perkins. I think are uh, all pretty top notch, whereas all other franchises. You got some Halloween, Friday Nightmare. Yeah, there's a few that you're like, eh. but I think it's one of the strongest is uh, the Psycho franchise. Favorite director, John Carpenter, without doubt. Favorite bad guy, villain, ooh, ooh. slasher, monster. Favorite evil bad thing. Oh God. Uh, you know, by default, I'd say Freddy Krueger, even though I know that's obvious. But no, that's who, there are no guilty he's pleasures. Best, he's the best of the baddies. He's, he's great. Uh, what's the hardest kill for you to watch in a horror movie? What's one that sticks out in your mind as like you have you kind of? Is there anything you shield your eyes from or cringe a lot at? Not really necessarily an on-screen kill. Uh, if something's long and drawn out for the sake of torture, then that that I don't like at all. Like I think that's uh, it's kind of cheap. Um, you know, I want to have fun when I watch these movies, so that that kind of bums me out. And I'm often pretty bummed out by like like rape revenge movies. That's mm. not really a subgenre I like at all. Um, I understand the importance of some of them, and there is a satisfying aspect to that. But I tend to gravitate towards uh, things coming out of South Korea for my my fill of vengeance. <laughs> I really don't need like you know forty five minutes of a rape to lead to that. Yeah, uh, the Koreans just go even crazier. So, yeah. If you could live in any town in a horror movie, oh, what town would it be? That is a good question. Um. I would say, part of me wanted to say Derry just because I love the Stephen King universe or Castle Rock, however you want to, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, but no, I wouldn't want to live with all those creepy things right? roaming around. So I'm going to just say one fucked up place. Yeah, I'm going to say Haddonfield um, from Halloween, which is ironic because one of the things I since I moved to Los Angeles, you know, that's all South Pasadena. Yeah, South Pasadena is the location of John Carpenter's Halloween, Halloween Two. But also some parts of Back to the Future, Teen Wolf. And once every other month, I go and walk those streets because it reminds me. It, it feels like I'm visiting suburbia from all the movies I grew up loving. Ugh. So I do that pretty regularly, that I pilgrimage. I love that. Yeah. That's you know, I grab a cup of coffee. I hang out in front of Michael Myers' house. And then I'm in front of the hardware store where Scott Howard does the handstand on Teen Wolf. And I just, you know, Doc Brown's house is not too far from there. I have not rewatched Teen Wolf with that in mind. I oh, must yeah. go do that. It's, yeah, it's a good chunk of its South Pass. I do that. I love that. I love that kind of like soaking it all in kind of thing. Yeah. It's yeah, really yeah. nice. Um, let's talk about Psycho. Okay. I know this is something you've done an awful lot of talking about. That's fine. <laughs> um, but maybe we'll get into some stuff that you have. I don't know. Sure. Um, so ha- I, I'm curious how you got involved, um, because uh, I'm, I'm sure I mentioned it when I introed you uh, on this, but you directed um, The Psycho Legacy, which is the definitive uh, retrospective on the Psycho series. So mm. how did that come to be? How did you decide to do that? How did you, how, how did that all happen? 
Um, through complete naivety, uh, which is usually how most things uh, happen. But um, the, the shortest version I could tell you is that um, myself and my friend Mike uh, Cucinata started Icons of Fright back in 2004. And this is a period where there were not a lot of horror websites. Um, Fangoria, I think, was just message boards at that point. And maybe Bloody Disgusting has just started. But the web, as we know it, was completely in its infancy stage. And uh, Mike and I were just big horror fans. And we, we saw that there wasn't a lot um, to cater to our specific interests, which were you know, a lot of the weird 80s VHS movies we grew up on. And more importantly, like, you know, we, we came up with the, uh, you know, um, Bravo's Inside the Actor's Studio, but for the horror fan. <laughs> and again, I, you know, it was mainly because I took a, a web course uh, in computer graphics and web design. I couldn't get a job, but I figured like, well, I got to practice. So it might as well be something I like and enjoy. And, and I actually was like, I grew up a huge movie fanatic, uh, you know, when I was really, really young, especially horror. But I loved everything. I'd rent everything I could. And then there was a big gap where I didn't watch movies at all, like 90s to about 2000, because I was full-fledged into music. I was trying to do the band thing, and, and I just didn't have time for movies anymore. And then I, I'll never forget, I know this is really cheesy, but I'll never forget what made me fall in love with movies again, is that I had two buddies named Pete and Matt, who I also did music with, and we literally spent three nights consecutively going to the movies, and we saw... Uh, we saw As Good As It Gets the first night, Goodwill Hunting the second, and Titanic the third. Oh, wow. And I just was like, movies are good. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> well, this I was is like, fun. I, was, I was found myself very emotional at all three movies. Like, you know, and, and that was the first time that I'd been like, wow, like, like stuff happening now is really kind of powerful in the movies. Um, you know, so that, so I was really in love with film and kind of trying to I was frustrated with the music industry and I wanted to go back to something that was kind of like pure to me and still untouched and that was my love of genre cinema and so we started this website and over the course of a few years uh, we interviewed a lot of people like we would just find people and again naivety like you know we didn't know any better we would just ask somebody at a convention like I remember Betsy Palmer was one of the first people and she gave me her phone number oh. and I got so excited and Mike's like you're the only guy that would get excited that a 75 year old woman gave her gave you her phone number and I'm like yes I'm gonna call her <laughs> it's gonna be amazing uh, so so it's just like it's weird because you know I loved Fangoria growing up but I didn't have a journalism degree and I also didn't think that that was possible because I remember looking at the back of a Fangoria once and it said, you know, send journalism degree and writing sample. And it's like, well, I guess I'm never writing right. for Fangoria because I'm not going back to school for that. Uh, so, but I just, by sheer will and just by doing interviews consistently, I, I got fairly good at it. And um, it came to a point where, where with Psycho, um, you know, there were, at that point, DVD was starting to hit its peak. And there were already box sets for things like Friday the 13th, at least the Paramount ones, Nightmare on Elm Street, etc. But there were no special editions of Psycho 2, 3, 4, none of that stuff. It was always the bare bones. And at that point, Anthony Perkins was gone. But I was just so fascinated by, in particular, the sequels because I grew up on them. And I'm like, you know, when, when you, before IMDb was a thing and you're reading books and you're like, wow, the guy that made Fright Night wrote Psycho 2? And, you know, you know the guy that um, played Norman Bates directed the third one? Like, I'm like reading all this stuff. I'm like, how come nobody has stories about it? 
So basically, it was kind of an extension of Icons of Fright, where it was like, well, I'm going to try to find as many people as I can from the Psycho sequels to talk to. And, and, and then I was like, well, I should film it for Prosperity's sake. Yeah. And so the first two people I contacted, I actually got an email from Richard Franklin, who was the director of Psycho 2, and he introduced me via email to Tom Holland. And so I booked a trip out to L.A., and I had Tom Holland and Mick Garris on cue to talk to on camera about Psycho. So I came out, I shot interviews with them, not really fully knowing what it was going to be. I mean, my, again, naivety. I just shot it because I figured, let's do it. And then partly I thought, oh, maybe we could do special editions. Like, if I go naively, I'm like, if I go to Universal, I'm like, look what I have. They'll be like, great, let's put them out again. Sure. Which did not happen at all. <laughs> and I did meet with Universal eventually. But pretty much after I got those first two interviews, Fangoria picked up a press release on it and was like, the Psycho Legacy in production. And that's when it's like, ah, oh, shit, now I have to do this. Yeah. Like, it was like, you, it's one of those things where you say you're going to do something, and now all of a sudden people are calling you on it, and you're like, now I have to. Yeah. But I like that. That's And that's actually a kind of a philosophy I've lived with through almost everything I've done is if you start it, it becomes a real thing, and now you kind of are obligated to finish it. Absolutely. So. You don't need permission. You don't necessarily need a journalism degree. Like a lot of times I, I found that too, like with there, there <laughs> I've kind of piecemealed my way through certain jobs that I've been doing to make money. And you just kind of like sign on and go, I'm, you convince people you can do it and then you yeah. figure out how to do the job. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's just from interviewing people. Everyone's got a different story, but that's what I learned from interviewing people through Icons of Fright and then even now going on to Killer POV and Shockwaves. It's like everybody's got a different story and 99.9% .9 of them is just speaking up at the right time to, to say, I could do this or I want to do this, whether you're ready to or not. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's you could do anything. I, I mean, think it's insane that, I mean, I... I, I that your your name now like I was doing so much research just getting ready for this and wanting to be able to ask fun questions and dig into the stuff that you know I'm like looking on Wikipedia and it's like your name is there with all of these oh God. directors and all you're you're no part idea. of the franchise <laughs> it's crazy like yeah. how that's so cool that's gotta feel good you like you decided you know you wanted to make a contribution to this place because you're piecemealing you're like wow in this book it's a look at i'm noticing the why don't i just make this a thing and then now forever you're a part of that like that's nuts it, it's a it's you a bit appreciate it's that. a bit weird to think of it that way yeah but i also you try to i don't know i i try to be humble and leveled about all that stuff because you know every day whether i whether i accomplish something or not it's like every day i have to wake up and do the same thing. I have to earn a living and just try to get through this thing called life. Sure. So these little accomplishments, yeah, you could celebrate them when they happen, but you have to keep going. And, you know, whether it's an article for a website, whether it's a film, it's a fight every single time to yeah, do it. for every sure. Every single time. Like right now I'm trying to finish. I haven't made a documentary since The Psycho Legacy that I directed. That was 2010. I'm now just finishing up my second documentary. Now I've worked on um, like literally probably a hundred bonus features since then right. that I've lost count of. But in terms of like actually like writing and directing something, I haven't done it in seven years because it's like I said, it's a fight every time. And I'm making this one exactly the same way. It's like nobody like 
was like, hey, we saw that thing. Here's a bunch of money. Go make more cool stuff. It's yeah. like, no, making it with close friends. Um, can you say what it's own. about? What is it? I could tease a little bit, you know, because it's it's everyone knows me as a horror guy, and I'm a big, I'm very music oriented. So it's it's basically a, a, a documentary on mixtapes. And how we communicate with each other through music. Oh, I think I saw you post something. Sort yeah, of like I've been that. teasing about it for a long time. And the only reason I, I'm not trying to be like, you know, like secretive or anything. It's just, well, A, I don't want to put the idea out there because once you put it out in the uh, in the in the ether, everybody starts. And, and actually, it's funny because we started this thing two, three years ago. And now everything to do with analog is kind of coming back, which yeah. is why we're like, oh, shit, we better finish this before yeah. somebody else uh, does something similar. Uh, but also it's like, you know, I'd rather be closer to the end um, when I announce things and sure. kind of push them. Because was, there's too many people that do say they're doing everything yeah. and are kind of all talking sure. about it. So it's like, oh, let's wait till we're a little closer. Quietly kind of bust your ass. Yeah, yeah. I was listening to uh, a, an interview on like Fresh Air on NPR with um, a couple of obit writers for the New York Times who mm. have been like working on obituaries for decades they write the obits for the new york times like that's what they do that's their job and they were talking about how um there there's this like storage room that they have across the street from their facility where they where they write that has all of these like all this all these papers so so like for 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 famous people who like they know will die eventually Mm -hmm. you know they they of course work on um obituaries early but they, they have like newspaper clippings magazine clippings um just anything that's ever written about these people physically copies in boxes in this facility and like whenever you know someone dies or is getting sick that they send someone over to get all that stuff bring it back over and (laughs) yeah and they were talking about how i promise this is i'm bringing it back they were talking about how at one point the new york times was talking about getting rid of their that little you know file system and because they were like everything's online now yeah and the obit writers were like absolutely not that it is not the same thing you know it it's they were like you know our job is to you know accurately portray these people with with color and um interesting information and um and you can't get you you know, it's it's different when you're holding a piece of paper yeah. that was printed in 1962. That's when it was written. Um, you know, it's just not the same thing to read. Anyway, I guess what I'm what I'm thinking about is just analog versus digital, and the idea of um, I love I love the idea of the project you're working on, but also just like when we're talking about horror films, when we're talking about Psycho Legacy. <clears throat> yeah, I was watching that movie and uh, you, your movie, and mm. you you're seeing these interviews with people and it's like now those interviews are there forever yeah and it's so cool because it's one thing to go on wikipedia and read a factoid like mick garris said this fact sure but to see him talking about it it's just it makes a different impression and it's this time capsule um of that information kind of in one place which i i'm just so charmed by yeah well i mean there's a couple things i could say about that number one it was really fascinating i uh i assume by the time this airs people already know this but uh, just when I think I'm out, they pull me back in. Uh, I got I got uh, contacted by Arrow uh, Video, which does all the UK releases, and uh, asked to put some stuff together for their Psycho 2 Blu-ray release. Cute. Which I initially said no to because I'm like, I don't know what else I could say. But of course, you know, a day or two goes by, I think about it. And what's amazing was um, I decided I thought it would be cool to do, for lack of a better term, like a little panel discussion 
with the quote-unquote Masters of Horror. So we ended up shooting a new 45-minute um, documentary, which is literally me, Tom Holland, who wrote Psycho 2, and Mick Garris, who directed Psycho 4, sitting together in the living room and just having a conversation about about Psycho, about Robert Block, about Alfred Hitchcock, about the respective movies they did. It's just like a really candid thing because now I've known them for a long enough time. And it's amazing. We shot it, uh, I don't know, about a month ago. And uh, when I got home, first of all, I was like, thank you guys. I know I've been literally bugging you about this for years. So I appreciate (laughs) that. I hope this is the last time. Yeah. Appreciate that you do this for me. But when I got home, I went back because Psycho Legacy took me like three years. I started it in 2007-ish and it took me until 2010 to complete it but I looked at my files because they were the first two guys I interviewed for it and literally from the moment we shot this thing for Psycho 2 the UK one it's 10 years since I interviewed them both same month practically the same week so I emailed them both I'm like it's been 10 years since I met you guys for the first time and interviewed you for the Psycho Legacy and it's kind of funny that here we are a decade later and I think Tom replies like, we look the same. We look great. <laughs> <laughs> we still look the great, you know. So I was like, oh, yeah, it's kind of funny. Um, but no, you know, it's funny that I, I like that story you told about the, the New York Times and the the um, the tangibility and the importance of keeping paper copies of everything. Because the thing is, yeah, everything's on the Internet, but from a point forward. So meaning like at some point in 2000 something, somebody started cataloging everything there is to know about said franchise or movie but there's still tons of literature from before that period that is not out there and i have a good friend named steve scarlotta who um he was one of the producers on jodorowsky's dune and he, i was just uh, listening to him on pure cinema on my he way was, here he and was, they all they do on that episode is talk about you your name oh, yeah. comes up like 17 <laughs> times yes so steve's a great yeah. guy he did that he co-wrote uh, beyond the gates but the thing i love about steve and you know because he's written some stuff for blumhouse.com he has got like a savant-like mind for unmade movies. But he will remember, he's like, yeah, I remember like Joe Zito was going to do Spider-Man. I read about it in Cinema Fantastique 82 back in August of 80-something. And and that's the thing is anytime he writes, he's done a few articles for us about films that never got made, like um, you know sequels and stuff like that. He will always go back and research print magazines from the period because that's the thing it's like you could find quotes of ridley scott back in 79 or 80 talking about what his sequel to alien would be and now it's funny because that's exactly what he's doing yeah in the current ones and it's like wow he was quote you know if you go back and look at this magazine in 79 he was talking about the movies that are in theaters now yeah so that's i think it's important to maintain that print stuff because that's why i love movie world in oh, Burbank yeah, because yeah. they just have boxes of old magazines yeah yeah no i love reading that stuff yeah so. um i so when i when i knew i when i was like rob i want to talk to you about this and you were like okay um <laughs> i i was gonna pick up a uh i i actually despise digital copies of books um and i don't love listening to books but mm-hmm. um i heard that this recording of psycho was good and so I was like all right I'll I'll listen to it so I okay. listened to the book um I I what blew my mind more than anything is uh the fact that in the book Norman Bates is not like he's not a handsome guy no, no, it's he's totally kind of chubby thing. he's yeah. kind of like 
Which is fascinating to me because to me, so much of of, of the the reason why that character is so enduring is he's he's an everyman. He's more than that. He's he's handsome. Right. Like he's a good looking guy. The, who who you would he's the boy next door that you would trust. And so I find it fascinating that that's. I you have to wonder if they made the film w- that way mm. if it would have gone on to be what no, it was. No, and they. I mean they. Hitchcock wasn't interested in making that version of the movie at all. Um, from what I gather, he read the book and immediately, it had just come out, and he immediately sent his people to go buy up every copy of the book so that nobody would spoil the ending. <laughs> and it's like, just buy them all. And I, and I think he bought the rights from Robert Block for something like $7,000, but anonymously. And I know, so to me, I think Block has always had a love-hate relationship with Norman Bates because he created this great character... And then somebody like Hitchcock comes in, but doesn't say they're Hitchcock, buys your book and makes this like monster hit that becomes, you know, a big part of pop culture. Uh, So they've both done sequels. Well, not Hitchcock, but they've made psycho sequels. But Robert Block has written psycho sequels, which are very bizarre. Are they? I think you might actually dig Psycho 2, the book Psycho Mm -hmm. 2, because basically it's about, uh, because it's basically the, the premise of Scream. Three, I think. Basically, Hollywood is making a movie based on the Norman Bates case called Crazy Lady. Wow. And Norman, ba- uh, Norman Bates breaks out of the insane asylum to go to Hollywood and stop them from Stab. making Crazy Lady. Uh, from making Stabs, yeah. Crazy Lady, whatever it is. That's and, crazy. But then, like, the director of the movie looks exactly like Norman Bates. There's weird twists and turns in it. And there's actually a really disappointing twist at the end, um, which I won't spoil because it is a major spoiler. But, um, yeah, the books are always fascinating. But that version of Norman, I don't think it would have worked. And I think the reason why it's endured is because it was just one of those strokes of genius where Alfred Hitchcock decided, yeah, it's got to be Perkins. It's got to be the boy next door. And I love that because, you know, they say it was loosely based on Ed Gein. And it was to an extent. You know, I mean, I I think years later, Robert Block said, well, I knew the basic gist of the Gein case. He has this shrine to his mother. The room hasn't changed since she died. There was the basics, but it's not like he's like totally based everything on him. It was loosely based by what he was hearing in the media about Ed Gein. And he also based it on a guy, um, if you look it up, a guy named Calvin Beck. Who I think what ran a like horror magazine or or like one of those sci-fi magazines, but apparently he was a very awkward, strange, overweight guy that had a domineering mother. So secretly, for many years, oh, everyone gosh. was like, everyone that read the book and knew him knew that he knew Block, and was always like, I'm pretty sure Block wrote it about Calvin Beck. Oh my god! And not Ed Gein, like everyone says. So it's supposed to be a combination of the two. Fascinating. But um, but yeah, Perkins is what made the movies what it is, and. It's funny because this is, you know, this is something I talked to Tom Holland about Psycho 2. I think what's interesting about Psycho 2 is kind of the whole Ted Bundy thing was happening a little bit before Psycho 2 came out. And, uh, you know, it's like the court system, like who's responsible sort of deal. And, you know, like Norman Bates was Ted Bundy before Ted Bundy, like this really good looking guy that you wouldn't believe would do these things. Yeah. So I always thought that was kind of fascinating. I just finished reading a couple months ago, The Stranger Beside Me, the mm. Anne Rule, oh. the definitive Ted Bundy yeah. book. Um, holy shit, that guy. Yeah. I mean, that guy charmed the pants off of everyone he met. Oh, yeah. Like, got in real good with the prison guards he was hanging out with, broke out of prison. Like, he just... But um, do you have... What's your favorite... I'm um, Total sidebar. Favorite uh, non-psycho uh, Hitchcock movie? 
Oh, do you have um, a favorite? I haven't seen all of them. I'm yeah. trying to. I'm trying to now. I just got together with my with a friend of mine and watched um, Suspicion, which oh yeah, I've I never seen that seen. one yet. Yeah. Oh, maybe I have. I get them a little confused because I, you know, he made like a hundred films. Mm-hmm. So I have a I have the two key box sets. Suspicion is a. Uh, it was like forty one. It was like an early one of the yeah. early early ones. I still may have that in one of the sets I bought, but um. I have the box sets, uh, but I try, honestly, to go see them at Revival Houses because, you know, because we're in Los Angeles, I, you know, like the New Bed will show Hitchcock, a double a double bill of Hitchcock movies every couple of months, you know. So I try to see them that way. I really like, um, uh, I really like Rope a lot, I thought, you know, which is supposed to be all in one take. I love Dial M for Murder, which is in 3D. I'm a 3D junkie, so mm-hmm. that's that's one of my favorites. Oh, the first time I came to your place, you were like, put Let these glasses on. <laughs> yeah. Let me show you 3D. <laughs> uh, I'd go with Dial M for Murder. I-, I love that movie. I think it's a it's pretty spectacular. And not not even because of the 3D, 3D gimmick, because it's not really that 3D-centric a movie. It's just a really good thriller, and they remade it as a perfect murder, um, late 90s, early 2000s, mm-hmm. with Michael Douglas. But that one's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things that struck me, uh, it, it, it hurt me in my heart um, <laughs> about uh, that I that I saw in Psycho Legacy in your in your movie mm. was the stories, kind of the idea that Anthony Perkins, um, you know, it was just one. It, he was one of those actors where this role it happened to him and he couldn't escape it. And yeah. after a while, he just leaned into it, which is so charming. Um, in some ways and uh, you know he just he was just like you know what I'm just gonna I'm gonna roll with this and this is gonna be you know this this will be my legacy I, I guess and um, and he where was I going with this mm. um, uh, and, the, and the the one anecdote that just like cracks my soul open and makes me I could just cry um, is about this studio tour when um, w- there was one of the actors was talking about yeah. This is Jeff Fahey on yeah. the set of Psycho 3. Who, by where... the way, when I was watching the interview, it took me a second to realize who he was. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was, I was like, very different. He's one of those, like, guys who was so absolutely gorgeous, yeah. like, in the 80s, and was just like, I'm going full burly bear. It's like, I met, um, uh, well, I mean, he, he still is... looks good, but I met um, uh, Clayton Roner. I was in yes. a movie with Clayton Roner. Oh, wow. A couple of, just uh, one of the guys. last summer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I grew up, like, totally crushing on him from yeah. that movie, and um, I, I, I ended up doing this movie um, called I Was a Teenage Wear Skunk, and he's he's <laughs> in that, and he's so good, but uh, I, we, I was at the premiere, and I, like, I was like, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not a weirdo, I'm in your movie i'm in the movie with you but can i get a picture and he's like sure and i have a picture of us and he's just he leaves the cigarette dangling out of his mouth he's just this like and he has like a big beard and but he's got such this like gorgeous like baby face like 50s star face in in just one of the guys but like you know now he's a little older he's just like yeah i'm kind of a mountain man anyway um well uh, well, it's funny about jeff fahey not to side i know you wanted to talk about the torth story but at the time, I don't know if this is the case because he was not really acting anymore. He, I mean, he he kind of we got him because he sort of came out of acting retirement to do Grindhouse with Tarantino and um, and uh, Robert Rodriguez. What? He's, he's in, What's, who is he? Well, he's in he's the chef in uh, Planet Terror for Robert Rodriguez. Holy shit! And he's also in Machete, which is one of the side stories. Yeah. But at the time, he was living in Afghanistan. 
because apparently he was like he was over there like helping build hospitals for children. What? So the reason he has that giant beard and looks kind of like that is because he was in Afghanistan at the time. So Holy we, shit. we caught him as he was coming to America because he was just starting to promote Grindhouse, and then he started doing the convention circuit and kind of getting into all that. But um, but it was pretty funny, and he even he said a story that because he hadn't thought like we we put it together so fast. So what I love about that interview with Jeff in Psycho Legacy is that he literally hadn't thought about Psycho 3 in 20 years or whatever it's been. So he's remembering stuff as we're shooting with hmm. him. But he was saying, he's like, yeah, it was so funny. I was on Grindhouse, uh, Planet Terror. He's like, I'm doing this movie with Rob Reese. It's the middle of the night. And I'm just sitting there. And him and Quentin would just constantly do my lines. They'd be like, you know, going to L.A. to be a rock and roll singer. And the ID, he's like, it took me a while to figure out. Oh and I'm like, God. what are you doing? And I'm like, we're doing your lines for Psycho 3. And he's like, they, they love that movie. That's not surprising to me at not, all. Not surprising at all. Yeah. No, they love that. They That's love that amazing. movie. That's amazing. Um, but yeah, no, but he said that was one of the things he learned from Perkins is how important the audience is. So when they were shooting on the lot and every time they crammed. In Orlando. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. That Isn't was that right? 4 was Orlando. Oh. And they did it on 4 too. But this was 3. They were doing it here. Oh, wow. The Hollywood one. And every time the tram came by. Uh, Tony insisted they all stop and wave, and he'd be like, you "Have to wave. You got to give the audience." He goes, they want. It does, "It's not. It's not difficult for you. It takes tiny bit of effort. You yeah. stick with them forever. Forever. They'll remember Norman Bates so, waving to them." It's. I, I. You could look at that in two ways: is like shrewd move, Perkins. Sure. Or, um, and they can coexist. Yeah. But, but also just kind of like it's really charming because you, yes. you know, um, I, I always appreciate. I gave that tour for a couple of years, and I always appreciated when I was doing the tour. Desperate Housewives was filming. Oh yeah. <laughs> and um, you know, every once in a while, one of the ladies would kind of like throw up a hand, and it made everyone's people would just lose their minds. Oh, of course, yeah, lose yeah. their minds. We're used to this seeing people here because we live here, but you know. Part of the idea, if you're a tourist going to Universal Studios and you see a famous person, you're like, oh my God, they waved at us. Yeah. It, to- it totally would make their day. Absolutely. But, um, the uh, yeah, no, it's funny you mentioned that because I hope that that came, at least the way that I wanted to present it is that he came to terms with the fact that he was Norman Bates. I hear conflicting things that he never got over it. Hmm. Um, but then, But then, you know, I found, like, all the footage I've seen of him online, and you can go on YouTube and just look up Anthony Perkins' interview. He's so serious and stoic in everything. And really the gold mine was my friend Guy Thorpe shot that um, that panel that he did at like a weekend of That's horrors. what I was going to ask you about. Where was that? Because in Psycho Legacy, if you're listening and you haven't seen it, which you should see it, um, it's on Scream Factory, Shout Factory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's you can a, purchase it. Yes. Uh, Shout Factory put it out. But the, my friend Guy Thorpe had, I think it was like about 88 or 89. It was after... Psycho 3, but before Psycho 4, he, uh, you know, they asked him to do one of these Fangoria Weekend Horrors. He's so, so charming. And that's like, You thing. have this yeah. footage of him with, like, a microphone, and he's, he's like, it's, tell, so it's, like it's like dad or grandpa telling you at the, you know, around the fireplace, like, get a load of this. Well, and that's why I feel like he was serious to the press, and, you know, when he was on, like, Letterman and those kind of shows, but then you see him in front of a horror audience, and he's just ripping and having fun and joking with them, and... And that footage was so good. It was kind of like the perfect thing to help us complete the film that I included the entire thing on its own as a bonus feature because mm-hmm. he talks about his whole career and it's just excellent. But from that, I like to gather and think that he um, appreciated and came to terms with the character. But it's so funny because it's like people like him and George Reeves, who is the original TV Superman, like like it, it, it doesn't happen anymore like this. They got typecast and could never escape it. Literally never. 
And I read an article on Blumhouse.com, which I think was titled The Exploitation of Anthony Perkins, because I, you know, I, I went back and found a lot of his movies in the 80s, like post-Psycho sequels, and every one of them had a cheap, like, kind of ploy that would put him in a dress. Uh, oh, And he'd oh, show up as I the watch? killer, um, and, and I'm like, oh, I watched uh, How Awful About Alan. I haven't years seen that ago. one. Oh, and you I'm should sure they, see that one. Yeah. But yeah, it's ex- you're absolutely right. You just I forgot I watched that movie, mm-hmm. and then uh, and I now I'm remembering that I l- landed on it because I was like Anthony Perkins. Yeah. What was I looking for? Probably exactly what they served me. You know, it's not great, but it's definitely worth a watch. But it's um, that's exactly right. There, it's yeah. it's uh, they're using that as well. A, you know, Crimes of Passion, a Ken Russell movie, and it, they kind of give it a you know. Sorry for the spoiler, but. It's just like really disappointing. Like like almost every movie he popped up in, they would force him to do some sort of psycho nod. And uh, again, that doesn't happen anymore because you see people like, you know, we'll see. I, I hope Freddie Highmore, who plays him on TV, oh will be God. able to shed that. But I mean, you know, he's like, you know, he was in Willy Wonka as, you know, as the kid, as Charlie. Mm-hmm. And now he's Norman Bates. And now he'll be somebody else. But, you know, it's like the people that play Superman or these, you know, these superheroes have no problem switching and playing other superheroes sure. or whatever the case is. Yeah, you look so. at people like Ryan Gosling, like, he, you know, he's The Notebook and some of these earlier films. And then he's now he's doing this crazy, like, cult stuff, like, yeah. here and there, like, intense dramas. Like, yeah, people, I mean, people still get pigeonholed, but not in that way, for sure. Yeah, it's, uh, it's weird. Totally sidebar, but it just occurred to me, do you, as a record collector, do you have any of Anthony Perkins' stuff on record? Oh, of record? course I do. Of course yeah, you do. Of course, of course yeah. you do. Plus, uh, it's super cheap. Usually, if you find it somewhere, it's like two bucks for an Anthony Perkins record. Uh, my, my friend Matthew, we did um, uh, a couple years in a row, we did this stage production uh, called Dead of July. It was um, like a, imagine like a Fear Street or Goosebumps, like, book um mm-hmm. on stage and it was about like murder you know and uh, by the beach and uh he found moonlight swim which is still just the dreamiest <laughs> let's go on a moonlight swim far away from the crowd all alone upon the beach our lips and our arms close within each other's reach will be on a moonlight swim I come back to it every summer now, and I'm just like, oh, it's such, he's got such a good voice. He does. I mean, he wasn't a great singer by by any traditional means, but, it, you know, he was part of that. And that's part of why they cast him in Psycho is because he was constantly getting pushed as the boy next door. Let's give let's put records out, put him in magazines so the girls can go nuts. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then that's why nobody saw it coming when he was that character in, in Psycho. So. Uh, I want to talk to you about Bates Motel, okay. uh, about the show, because um, I was listening to you talk to to the gang on, on Shockwaves about it, and, you know, of course, the overwhelming thing from them was like, oh, yeah, no, I haven't really been. And you're like, guys, you <laughs> you're like, to, season yeah. one, uh, season four. Four and five. And, five. Yeah. Um, and I totally, I'm <laughs> with you on that. Um, you watched the show. Yes. You did. Okay. Yeah. And uh and I I I just a few days ago like marathoned because I some and also by the way somehow I had managed to avoid all spoilers. I had I still hadn't finished like the the last half of the final season. Oh yeah, yeah. And um I I I I am so, like I when I started that show, I did not imagine how how strongly I would feel about it when I finished it. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah, the 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 supplemental like like kind of padding to that show 
Uh, and by the way, um, uh, Max Thoreau, like, I'm not saying he's uh, invaluable. He became such a pivotal sure. character, for sure. But the stuff they had him doing towards the beginning, where the pot trade in town and the, you know, intrigue and, oh, no, the drama and who's shooting who and all that stuff. Uh, like, I would watch it just just waiting for Norma and Norman stuff. Like, yeah, cause because that's, that's what you wanted. But that's I, the meat and potatoes. I mean, they were trying, they were very trying, you know, they were trying to do a very Twin Peaks sort of deal. Sure. And like, Look how weird this town is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, when they focused on Norma and Norman, that's when the show was its strongest. And once they get to season four and they knew they were going to end with five, that's kind of like when things take off. I, I do Insane. see a lot of people marathoning the whole show now, which is what my co-hosts said they were going to do. They're like, well, we were waiting for all five seasons. Now sure. I'm just going to watch it. I, so. I think part of the reason why, honestly, I was avoiding finishing it was because like, I knew it would be really painful. Mm. And here's something I want. I want to get your opinion on this because I, I, I've been thinking about how... So for years, my complaint about, um, God, by the way, the first movie I ever saw in a theater by myself, the first time I ever went like one ticket and some popcorn, please, Mm -hmm. was Rob Zombie's Halloween. God help me. (laughs) And, um, I love Rob Zombie as a person. He seems like such a nice guy. I love what a, what a repository of horror information he is. I love what a super fan he is. Me too. His movies are not for me. Same um, I so, finally decided that. After walking at 31, I was like, I've given him like six chances right. now, and these are just not for and me. And for some people, <laughs> they are like gung-ho, and I love that. That's but for, fine, yeah. So, um, but one of my biggest complaints about about his Halloween, because, you know, Halloween is my, Michael Myers is my favorite, Halloween is my favorite movie, not just horror movie, I love it. Um, uh, because for me, the thing that, that was so scary about Michael Myers was he's purely and simply evil. Sure. You know, there's no, nothing there. He's just going to kill. And, um, you know, I thought Rob Zombie's Halloween took that and, and it was like, no, fuck you. His mom's a stripper and his, the guy she's dating is an asshole and oh, he mutilates birds and whatever. And, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, okay, so we're gonna, we're gonna just slap the typical serial killer childhood on him and mm. now here's why he is the way he is and I was like oh womp womp like take all the you know good stuff out of it yeah um I don't want to know how he I don't want to know how he got there I just want him to kill <laughs> and yet uh you know as I'm as I was finishing out Bates Motel I realized I was like this is the reason for me that the that the relationship between Norma and Norman is so compelling it's so well written of course Vera Farmiga and Freddie Highmore are top notch like award level great um but that's all i mean bates motel is is like an origin story of like the or i guess not because you know i don't want to spoil um but you know uh it's safe to say they remake psycho with the final season of course yes that's fair enough um so but you know it it, they they take you through like all of it his whole how he becomes who he is and i was like that's i was so compelled and it was so I was a, I am obsessed with the work that they did on that show. It's so good. Yeah, me too. But how? Why is it? Is it because it, they had enough time to really do it well versus like trying to do it in a ninety-minute, two-hour movie? Like, wh- wh- why does it work well I on think, the show and not in Rob Zombie's Halloween? Well, I think. I mean, I think you you kind of are hitting the nail on the head. Not not about time. It's about you know, can you capture the essence of a character in terms of what what everyone universally sees in them you know like rob zombie's take on halloween is very much rob zombie's take on halloween but it doesn't really line up with what we as a general audience 
take away from Halloween, John Carpenter's Halloween. I mean, in fact, I, you know, I know he won't admit this, but he's remembering them wrong because he incorporates things from Halloween 2 into his. Otherwise, Laurie Strode would never have been a sister. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like his memory of what he thought it was or what he thought would make it intriguing or interesting now is, is not really fundamentally in line with what um, that character is. In terms of Norman Bates, the thing that I find so fascinating about the character and what I think they did right in the original franchise and now in the show, and, uh, you know, the remake's an anomaly, which we can talk about, but basically, and, you know, I've written so many articles on this, but basically, to me, Norman Bates is, like, one of the saddest characters in in horror fiction. I was, because... a, I was a hot, wet mess at the end of the show. Yeah, I and I mean, mess. and here's the thing, I also love, I love what they did with Psycho 4, like, when that yes. came out, I mean, I, you know, Psycho psychologically... Psycho 4 is like, like so it, the seeds of the show are right there. Sure, but it's two completely different versions of what would lead Norman to become what he is, but I always thought, I remember there was like a special called the Horror Hall of Fame, where they, you know, did these, uh, it was like Fangoria giving awards or whatever, but they... Uh, did segments on classic films and for Psycho you know it's narrated by Robert England and it, it always stuck with me Robert England said he's you know Norman Bates is the Hamlet of horror and and that to me is like he's got this oh. when you watch the film franchise there's this Shakespearean quality to him that he is forever doomed you know like Psycho 2 he gets out of the mental institution he's completely come to terms with what he's done and what a terrible person he is and yet people are forcing him to kind of go mad again and then even psycho 3 he's trying so desperately to hold it all together and he can't so there's always been something inherently sad about the character where he's always it's, he's just destined this is destined to happen to him you know so what i find interesting about both versions is that the movies always skated with nature versus nurture is is he this way because he was always intended to be was it the way his mom treated him you know, in the films, and especially Psycho 4, it could be a combination of the two. They never clearly define it. But what the show did is they took the essence of that character. They didn't completely change his backstory. They took the essence and actually answered that question. Um, it's not nature versus nurture. It is nature. He's, in, he's mentally ill. Mm -hmm. They kind of tell you pretty early on in the show that he has an issue, a yeah. mental problem, and that if, if it goes ignored long enough, it's, it's going to be a problem. Um, so and I was always perfect storm of like he doesn't a, want to face it. His mother's not forcing him to face it. Yeah, you know? and that's the funny thing is you know I I was very very fortunate coming full circle to do a panel at Texas with all the Bates Motel people right after the show ended, and, which is on YouTube and you could watch it now. And uh, I thought it was so fascinating how they all said it's like you know they all wanted the same life, they just couldn't meet. Uh, you know they couldn't line it up and get it at the same time it's so upsetting and it is and i think that's what was brilliant about that show and i think also what what it solidified that final season was that um it, you know what it the reason i made the psycho legacy initially was because at that point the remake had killed that franchise and i feared that we would never have another norman bates and i feared that it was going to get forgotten and to me it's like you know, when you'd say, who are the movie maniacs? You're like, well, Freddy, Jason, Michael Myers, Leatherface. You rarely heard Norman Bates. And I'm like, and you know, at that point, I'd become, I, I, when I came out to do those first interviews, there was no Bates Motel merchandise left at Universal Studios. Like, you couldn't get a towel, a Bates Motel towel, nothing. And I was actually even shocked that it was still on the tour 
And I was terrified that they were going to tear it down because Whoville was, like, taking over the Bates yeah. Motel right from behind. So to me, it's like, I don't want anybody to forget this character because it's so good and it deserves to be retold um, again. And, you know, indirectly, it, it, it at least kept it... I'm not taking responsibility for this in any way, shape, or form. But I think by me screaming loud enough to keep, you know, let's keep watching these movies, blah, 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 eventually led to somebody like Scream Factory stepping up and re-releasing 2 and 3. And then it led to the movie Hitchcock, which was based on Alfred Hitchcock and the making of Psycho, the Stephen Rebella book. And it kind of kept it in the public subconscious to give us Bates Motel. And now that Bates Motel has ended, you know, as soon as it was over, like, yeah, I was very sad about it, but I'm like, I'm 100% confident that Norman Bates or Psycho, that is not the last we've seen of Norman Bates and Psycho. And what's good about it, which which the remake kind of killed, I think we needed the remake to dampen the blow of them remaking it again. Uh-huh. Because a lot, it it's funny, like, some couldn't possibly be. <laughs> couldn't be worse. <laughs> but it's funny because, I mean, I was 100% satisfied with how they retold that story. And, I mean, I wrote dozens of articles predicting what I think they should do. And I was wrong every step of the way. And I was happy to be wrong because even as a diehard fan, they surprised me. Like, they totally surprised me with everything. With the way the characters unveiled itself. I thought it was an appropriate ending. I thought the shower scene was fantastic. Like, oh, my everything God. It was great. I just, I mean, I'm days out from seeing that shower scene for the first time. And I did not, again, I had no spoilers. Yes. I knew there Amazing. was going to be a shower scene. And wh- I, I was watching it, my jaw on the floor, I was like, this could not be more perfect. I think they nailed so it. Great. And they did it in a way that, quite frankly, I was shocked in a way that I imagined people were for the 1960 Oh, what a gift. Because it was such a, it's like, whoa. Upending like, your expectations, which is yeah, such an element and, of the original and film. really disturbing me. I thought yeah. it was a really disturbing oh, yeah. way that they pulled that card out. But um, but my point being is now they, they've redone it. And it's funny because... A lot of the complaints I've heard is they strayed too far. And I'm like, what do you want? They did exactly the same thing in 98, and that's that was terrible. Now they strayed too far. But the point being is I think now the legacy has been restored, and it is a character that, that um, you know, because I, I think the other thing was, you know, Vince Vaughn is a little, I like Vince Vaughn as an actor, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it steered a little too far away from who Norman Bates is. They found a, a physical equivalent mm-hmm. with Freddie Highmore, you know, who kind of like, oh, I can get this. You know, somebody was telling me, like, I don't buy that he gets all these girls. Like, how does Norman Bates have game? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. He's girls pretty like cute him. and adorable. Yeah. I think there's some, t- some element of like, you know, especially. I don't know. Everyone loves to complain, like, why do girls like the bad boys? Um, but but I think to an extent that can be true. But I think there's also a thing about girls who sometimes we want to, like, find that guy who's not as confident and, like, be yeah. around it. Like, I, oh, my God. I he's, bought he's every the, element of that nerdy, character. Hulk totally. Line and sinker. He's, he's the nerdy, sort of got a dark side. Totally. Like, of course, I totally see it. It's, I cannot know. imagine more perfect casting. And I am I was floored by Freddie Highmore in that show. Like, he oh, yeah. just... What it what it for I, I just kept thinking especially in season five I was like for these two actors I'm not sure they'll have a better like yeah. on a platter gift of like 
living this journey yeah, of, yeah. of these two characters like i mean they'll never have that again yeah i mean and i i i will like i could i will go to bat with anyone about this show i sure. i just so i i can't stop thinking about it yeah i think it's so fantastic yeah well hopefully they'll do like a complete series or whatever i mean i'm sure the it's the first four seasons are on netflix so i think a lot of people will discover it now that it's officially wrapped and they should because it's be great. good for binging yeah i yeah. think it'd be really good for binging so um you're the best oh yeah thank, thank you thank for you. talking you're the best. to me oh please sure yeah no i i we talked a lot about a lot of stuff i don't normally talk about so good we, we Ooh. A, lot of, a lot of cool uh different stuff i'll have to change. bug you again in two years when you're like <laughs> when, when you're like oh they asked me to do this other thing yeah well hopefully this will i don't know hopefully my psycho uh stuff is done for now until until the Bates Motel legacy is is comes a calling, or somebody asks me to do a documentary about the show, sure. I don't know. <laughs> well, you can listen to Rob on uh, Blumhouse's Shockwaves podcast. Yes, you can. You have a blog. I've read uh, some of your. Oh blog yeah, I do. Posts. I don't know it by heart though. It's like Rob Galuzzo dot blog. Uh, yeah, I'm terrible at this. You can just but you can you, you can, can follow me on today. Twitter uh, on uh, it's icons Rob G. And I tweet everything. I tweet um, links to the podcast. I do a show called Two Dudes Talking where I, you know, me and my buddy Tony Giles talk about other geeky nonsense. And I, Wait, I, you know, you're not just a horror guy? No. Whoa. I like lots of things. Go figure. How amazing. Yeah. I'm a well-rounded human being. I had no <laughs> idea. I'm just kidding. Of course I did. Um, well, thank you for coming on my little podcast. I love it. I it's wanted great. to poke at you in some new places. Sure. And uh, you were great. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening to our seventh episode of Behind the Screams. You can hear Rob on the Shockwaves podcast every week over at Blumhouse.com. We'll see you soon for the next installment in our Behind the Screams series. Until then, and as always, beware the moon. Let's go on a moonlight's 